Hopefully you found that, and we'll begin by reading this psalm together. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Psalm 29. The Holy Spirit says, A psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Well, this past week, we all watched as Hurricane Ian devastated Florida and the southeast United States. Winds at 150 miles an hour. 14 inches of rain. Seven foot storm surge. Trees collapsed. Power lines down. I have friends who live in Fort Myers, Florida, which is one of the places that was hit the hardest by the hurricane. Their names are Tim and Joni Alexander. Joni Alexander is a name you might be familiar with. She's the founder of Power Up Clubs. And uh, she posted a picture of their house, which was flooded with about five feet of water. They lost everything. And they're just one of thousands of stories of devastation. Seeing the raw power of a hurricane is incredibly humbling. It's humbling because we as humans, despite all of our advancements, despite all of our technology, despite all of our collective strength, we are absolutely powerless to stop a force of nature like that. 
We don't even try to stop it because we know we can't. I mean, we, we board up windows to try and minimize damage. We evacuate to a safer location. But we know our greatest combined efforts could not so much as slow down those wind speeds by one mile an hour. Yet, every gust of wind, every drop of water, every rising flood is under the command of the king of creation. As R.C. Sproul put it, there is not one maverick molecule. And there is so much we can say about that truth. That God is the king of creation who controls every drop of water, every wind, every wave. If it is true that the forces of nature, these forces that are overwhelmingly more powerful than you or I, if it is true that they are under the command of God, this is a God who deserves glory and worship and obedience. This is a God that we must answer to. But here's ultimately what I hope we'll see in Psalm 29 today. If we are in Christ, if we've trusted in him, if we belong to him, the God who is that powerful is our God. If we are in Christ, we are his people. Our God is the king of creation. And so we should worship him. We should listen to his voice. We should obey his voice. But also we should be greatly encouraged. Because the God who is in control of the most powerful forces we can lay our eyes on is the God who is on our side. We are unthinkably blessed if we belong to this God. So just how great is our God? Our God is the King of creation. We're going to walk through Psalm 29 and just bask in the greatness and majesty of the King of creation that's put on display in this passage. And then at the end, we'll look at three points of application considering how we can respond to our God who is the King of creation. David begins this psalm of praise with a call to worship in verses 1 and 2. Look at those verses. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So David is calling for Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, to receive glory and honor. That he deserves. Uh, he is glorious. He is all-powerful. He is holy and righteous. And for this, he deserves praise. Uh, notice who David is calling on to give glory to Yahweh, though. He says, heavenly beings. 
Your copy of Scripture may have a footnote that shows you that that phrase in Hebrew is literally sons of God. These are the heavenly beings mentioned in Job, chapters 1 and 2. They came and presented themselves to Yahweh. Uh, Satan was among them and asked Yahweh for permission to afflict Job, if you know that story. Uh, We also see some of the sons of God in Genesis 6, uh, right before the flood of Noah's day. We're told that sons of God took daughters of man as their wives. Peter and Jude refer to them as angels who sinned and left their proper dwelling and they're being held in chains of gloomy darkness until the final judgment. The point being, these are, these are angels. These are heavenly beings. These are uh, s- spiritual forces in the heavenly places, as Paul puts it. So David is calling on these heavenly beings, these spiritual beings, to give Yahweh the glory he deserves. What is David showing us about God here? Well, David recognizes that Yahweh is the creator of earth and heaven. He is creator of all that exists. Every being who exists other than God himself is created by God. Yahweh is the God even of unseen heavenly beings in the spiritual realm. So David is showing us the the transcendent greatness of Yahweh by calling on these otherworldly beings to worship his God. Even the most powerful unseen beings in the heavenly places must bow to Yahweh. Yahweh is the creator of all, and he is worthy of the the worship of all. Well, then beginning in verses 3 and 4, David shifts his attention from the heavenly realm to the earth. Look at those verses. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. David paints a picture of a thunderstorm to depict the power and the majesty of Yahweh. And and the voice of Yahweh is his focus. The voice of Yahweh is powerful and majestic, like the boom and crack and rumble of thunder. Yet, as majestic as the pouring rain and deafening thunder are, David says Yahweh's majesty is such that he is over the waters. As powerful as the thunderstorm is, the creator who commands the storm has even greater power. David continues in verses 5 and 6, The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Lebanon is a a mountainous region to the north of Israel. Syrian is a a mountain. It's also known as Mount Hermon. And it's also in that area north of Israel. The voice of Yahweh is so powerful, even tall, immovable cedars snap like twigs under his power. The voice of Yahweh is so powerful, he makes enormous, rock-solid, towering mountains skip 
like light little baby animals. This is the power of the voice of Yahweh. David continues in verses 7 and 8. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The flames of fire that David likely has in mind are are lightning. That's part of this thunderstorm. That blinding, fierce energy of lightning points to the majesty of Yahweh's voice. His voice also shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Uh, So we saw Lebanon and Syrian in the north. Well, Kadesh was a desert to the south of Israel. You might remember that the people of God passed through the wilderness of Kadesh on their way into the promised land out of Egypt. Well, in this, we see that David has a particular geography in mind. He's envisioning the power of Yahweh demonstrated particularly in the areas just outside of Israel. From where he stands in the promised land, David looks north and he sees Lebanon and he sees cedars breaking and mountains skipping. From where he stands in the promised land, David looks south to the wilderness of Kadesh and he sees fiery lightning and the earth shaking. As we move forward, remember this geographical perspective that David has as he's envisioning the power of God on display over nature. Look at verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. So again, you'll likely see a footnote in your copy of Scripture uh, that the phrase makes the deer give birth can also be translated makes the oaks to shake. And you hear that, you might be wondering, how can one phrase uh, possibly be translated two so different uh, things? Well, because I want you to know that you can trust your Bible, and I want you to be confident in the translations we have, let me give you just a quick Hebrew lesson, okay? The Hebrew scriptures were written without vowels. Uh, so the, the vowel sounds of the language were passed down through oral tradition, but no vowels were written in the original inspired text. And so uh, one set of consonants can refer to different words depending on what vowels are used. So just imagine if we did this in English. Imagine you, I wrote down the consonants T-N-T. What words might I be referring to? Well, depending on what vowels you add, it could be Tent, like you would set up to go camping. Could be tint, with an I, like tint on your windows. Keep it legal. Uh, It could be taunt, like making fun of someone with a taunt. Could be tenet, like the tenets of a religion. Or it could just be TNT, like dynamite. Right? So you can imagine uh, how how this works. So one set of consonants can refer to very different words. And so that is the explanation for how uh, two things uh, so different from one another could both come from the same set of letters. Well, so, but based on the, co- the uh, context of Psalm 29, it's probably more likely that the phrase is the voice of Yahweh makes the oaks to shake. This is the, the repeated uh, image that we see here, this idea of 
of, of oaks and mountains and forests and wilderness, shaking and trembling and breaking at the voice of Yahweh. And the next phrase goes even further and says the voice of Yahweh strips the forests bare. Uh, now, perhaps you've seen a tree that's been struck by lightning and the bark is just stripped off. Uh, that might be the image that David has in mind here. Or the image might be something more like uh, the damage done by the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 1980. If you've seen the pictures right after the um, eruption of Mount St. Helens, the forest all around Mount St. Helens was absolutely leveled. What once was this lush, green, tall forest was just a flat gray pile of twigs. Well, in either case, that is the power of the voice of Yahweh. Power that strips the forest bare. And then at the end of verse 9, David turns our attention back to Yahweh's heavenly sanctuary and those heavenly beings in his presence. And in a dramatic call and response, not unlike the call and response we started off today with, the call of the majestic, powerful voice of Yahweh is met by the response of all in his heavenly temple crying, glory to the God, the King of creation. The only proper response to the majestic voice of of Yahweh is to give glory and honor to this powerful creator. Well, then as David starts to land the plane, after seven verses of meditating on the majesty and power of the voice of Yahweh, in verse 10, he highlights Yahweh's kingship. He says, the Lord Yahweh sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Like David said in verse 3, Yahweh is over these powerful forces of nature. The greatest natural phenomena, the strongest forces, unstoppable by human hands, they are under the authority and power and kingship of Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. His throne is over all. He is sovereign over nature. He is the king of creation. In verse 10, notice that word flood. This is the word used in Genesis to describe the flood of Noah's day. And that word does not occur anywhere else in scripture outside of the flood narrative except for here in Psalm 29. Some have even argued that the whole psalm is actually about the flood, that the flood of Genesis is the many waters that break cedars and shake the wilderness and level the forest. And that may or may not be the case. But either way, we can learn a couple of truths from David about God by his use of that word flood. First, it teaches us even further about the greatness of Yahweh's strength. Even the flood of Noah's day, the most catastrophic weather event this world has ever seen, was under the control of the king 
of creation. But not only does it teach us about the strength of Yahweh, it also teaches us about Yahweh's role of authority. Remember, the flood wasn't just a big weather event. It was an act of divine judgment. The creator who is enthroned over the flood is also the judge of all people. It's not just that Yahweh is really strong, strong enough to wield the power of nature. He is also the one, as the creator, who has the right to wield nature in judgment on his creatures as he demonstrated in the flood. Yahweh, the king of creation, has infinite strength, and Yahweh, the king of creation, is the judge whom we must have peace with or we will experience his judgment. In light of these majestic truths, the infinite strength of Yahweh, his role of authority as judge, in light of these truths, notice how amazing David's last verse is. Verse 11. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord Bless his people with peace. Yahweh is not just king of creation. He is king of a people. David prays that this God of infinite strength would give strength to his people. David prays that the judge of the world would bless his people with This glorious God who is worthy of the praise of the heavenly beings, who sits enthroned over the forces of nature, he chose a people and he made himself their God. With this in mind, remember the geography that David has in view. David may look to the north and to the south of Israel and see God's majestic judgment on the nations. But David looks in the promised land at Yahweh's covenant people and expects that God will bless them. David prays that the king of creation, the judge of the world, would bless his people with peace. Like when Jesus was with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, And a great windstorm arose, and Jesus rebuked the storm. He rebuked the wind. He said, peace, be still. To which the disciples said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The wind and the sea obeyed the voice of the Lord. And in that moment, King Jesus blessed his disciples with peace. Our God, our God is the King of creation. How do we respond to the truth that our God is the King of creation? I'd like to highlight three ways. First of all, bow to the king of creation. 
bow to the king of creation. You know, it may be that God has been revealing himself to you. It may be that you have seen that he is the king of creation. Maybe you recognize his eternal power and divine nature that he demonstrates in his creation. But you haven't yet given your life to him. God's showing you that he's real. He wants to know you, but you haven't placed your faith in him. Well, you need to know that Jesus Christ has made a way for you to come in to the blessing of belonging to God's people. All of us on our own have sinned against our creator and deserve his judgment. But Jesus took the judgment of God that we deserve so that we could have peace with God. Jesus lived a perfect life and he died for our sins as our substitute. He rose from the dead conquering the grave so that now not only does he reign over the heavens and the earth and the mountains and the seas and the wind and the rain, but over death itself. You can become a part of God's people. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Jesus has done everything necessary. All you have to do is trust him with your soul. Give your life to him. Make him the Lord of your life. You know, when Jesus died, God demonstrated his power over nature. He filled the noon sky with darkness. The earth shook. Rocks were split open. And it was such a powerful demonstration of God's power over nature that the soldier who was overseeing Jesus' execution saw the earthquake. And do you know what he said? Truly, this man is the Son of God of God. May that be your declaration today in light of who God is as the king of creation. Bow to the king of creation. A second way to respond to this truth that our God is the king of creation, listen to the voice of the Lord. Listen to the voice of the, law, of the Lord. We, we've seen throughout Psalm 29 the, the majesty of God, especially his voice, seven times, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. It was his voice that spoke creation into being. It's his voice that commands floods and hurricanes and tornadoes. And it is his voice that speaks on the pages of Scripture. When you open this book, do you realize who it is who's talking to you? Do you realize what voice is speaking through this book? When you hear God's voice through the words of Scripture, do you stand at attention? Do you respond as if you just heard thunder that strips the forest bare? Do you bow as if one speaking, as if the one speaking is the God who reigns over the power of nature? How does your heart 
categorize the words of Scripture? Do you regard Scripture as supreme? Or do you treat it as if it just kind of contains good morals and teachings that you can kind of put on the same level as common sense and wise words you've heard along the way and American values and conservative principles and the words of leading experts and advice from your friends? When the Bible says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, do you hear that but still make a point to tell others about all the good deeds that you do? Or do you listen to the voice of the Lord like it is a voice that breaks the cedars? When the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When you hear, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Do you hear that voice and go on demanding that your spouse just serve you and your desires and your expectations? Or do you listen to that voice like it is a voice with flames of fire? When the Bible says that members of a local church are not to neglect to meet together, do you hear that voice but treat that as an optional suggestion? Or do you listen to that voice as if it is the voice of the Lord that shakes the wilderness? When the Bible says that the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God, do you hear that and roll your eyes because it's not as big of a deal as those real serious sins? Or do you listen to that voice like it is the voice that strips the forest bare? How do you categorize the words that come from the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is over the flood. The voice of the Lord is over the power of creation. And the voice of the Lord is over you as well. Every other voice that speaks to you, every other voice, every other voice you hear is under the power of the king of creation who stands over the flood. The word of God outranks every other voice. Listen, listen to the voice of the Lord. Listen to the voice of the Lord not only when he gives commands. Listen to the voice not only with what is right and wrong, but listen to the voice of the Lord when he says nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You can take that to the bank because it is spoken by the voice of the Lord that shakes the cedars. Listen to the voice of the Lord when, when he says, you will be with me forever. You can take that to the bank because it is spoken by the authoritative voice that stands over the waters. Every promise of Scripture, every command of Scripture, every truth found in these pages comes with the authority of the God who shakes the earth. You can take it to the bank. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Finally, enjoy the blessings that belong to God's people.
people. Enjoy the blessings that belong to God's people. In verse 11, David prays, May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Strength, peace. These are just some of the blessings that belong to the people of Yahweh in Christ. Do you know that the king of creation has strength for you in Christ. In Isaiah 40, a passage very similar to Psalm 29, Isaiah calls to the people and he says, Behold, your God. He describes this God as one who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, who has marked off the heavens with a span He describes Yahweh as one who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. And that cricket's going to go right on cue. I'm, I'm sure of it. He describes God as the one who calls every star by name. But then in Isaiah 40, verses 28 to 31, Isaiah says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord, Yahweh, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might. Does that describe you? He who has no might. He, God, increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This past Wednesday, our students studied Philippians 4, 11 to 13, where Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You might be in the most wearying situation you have ever encountered. You might be faint and exhausted, but the creator of the ends of the earth gave his son for you and gave his son to you. And he has strength for you in your situation. Christ can renew your strength. You can run and not be weary. You can walk and not faint. You can be brought low and abound. You can experience contentment and endurance in his strength. The strength of the king of creation. The strength of the one who breaks the cedars. The strength of the one who reigns enthroned over the flood. That strength can be yours to help you endure and enjoy the Lord in the most wearying of situations. 
That's part of the blessings of belonging to the people that belong to the king of creation. But there's more. David talks about strength, but he also talks about peace. Do you know that if you are in Christ, you have peace with the king of creation, the judge of the world? Paul says in Ephesians 2, 12, and 13 that at one time we were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is enough to give us peace with the God who judges the world. If we are in Christ, we do not have to fear that God might be angry with us. If we are in Christ, we no longer have to work to make sure we stay on God's good side. We have peace with God in Christ by His blood. Are you still working try and earn peace with God? Are you still living in fear that at any point you might cross a line and lose God's favor? Are you working to make sure that you're ascribing enough glory to God so that he'll bless you? If that's you, listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus has done everything necessary to bring us in to the people of God. We receive the blessings of strength and peace and all the rest because of God's covenant love, his love that endures forever, that was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. So rest in him. Enjoy the blessings that belong to God's people. Our God is the king of creation. Our God is the God who is worthy of the praise of heavenly beings. Our God is the God whose voice commands the forces of nature. So may we bow to this God. May we listen to and obey the voice of this God. And may we rest in the blessing of knowing that in Christ, he is our God. I mentioned before, uh, Tim and Joni Alexander, whose house was devastated by Hurricane Ian this week. I want to just close with what Joni posted the day that they went back to their house to assess the damage. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man 
who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, 8. She writes, he is good. Just leave in his hands the present and the future, knowing only that he is good. He can bring order out of chaos, good out of evil, peace out of turmoil. God is good. Everything changes when we know how great our God is. Everything changes when we know our God is the king of creation. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you in humility, recognizing your power and your greatness. And at the same time, we boldly approach your throne because of the grace that we have in Christ that has made us your people. Lord, I pray that your word today would cause our hearts to have a bigger view of who you are and how great you are. Lord, would we be humbled by your power and humbled by your love for us. Lord, would our lives be changed because of how you have revealed yourself in your word today. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together.